love you being here. <laughs> Great to have you here. Great river of life. Well, we're going to uh, just take up an offering right now and just honor God in giving. You know, one of the things I noticed straight after uh, Noah, Noah believed the word of God. He had a word from God in his generation. He believed it. It's really amazing how as a man of God, he took hold of what God said in his day, acted on what God said, and then became a pioneer of faith in his generation. And the Bible tells us that straight after, you know, the earth had been destroyed and the, flood, the, the, uh, the ark came to rest, interesting, you think that the last thing you would do when you've all the animals and everything's been wiped out and there's only just only an ark full of animals left in the whole world, you think the last thing a person would consider doing is to take them and to start to offer some to the Lord. Quite extraordinary, really, isn't it? And, uh, but this sh just shows you just in Noah's heart, just a heart of gratitude for the word that God had given to him, uh, for the grace that God had given to him to be able to walk in what he'd been shown, and he expressed it by building an altar and making an offering to the Lord. And uh, I, that was a very, very expensive offering. And uh, I believe that one of the things that... Uh, is an evidence of just our, our right before the Lord, being right before the Lord, is that we have a heart of generosity to God, a heart of generosity for how he gives to us. And we can take an offering, just a free will offering, just out of our heart, out of a heart that's generous and thankful and says, Lord, thank you for what you've given to me. May you give me also grace to walk in it. And our offering is a tangible way. It's an act of righteousness, a tangible response just to what God has been speaking to our hearts. So let's just close our eyes just for a moment. Don't take up the offering yet. Father, we just thank you for what you're speaking to us. Help us to see how it applies, how we can work these things into our life, how our lives can be enriched as we hear, receive, and respond to the word of God. And Lord, we just open ourselves to give to you and to give a, an offering of our life, something representing our life and our, our gratitude. We want to sow in to what you are doing here. We want to sow in to this ministry and Lord, so we open our heart to give tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that the same God who provides for us will also give future seed for us as we sow in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a check, make it out to Bay City Outreach Center. And uh, we will uh, uh, put those in and we'll be making up a generous offering uh, for Shane. Shane lives by faith. Uh, that means he has no income from anywhere. The only income he has is what people who receive his ministry give to him. And so it's always right that we sow, and we sow generously. So we want to do that. We want to give generously. Last time Shane was here, we gave very generously, and we'll do it again this time. Amen? Well, you're all ready to get to hear some more. How many found your fingers starting to get a bit worn down from taking notes and writing and writing and writing? And how many felt like they're back in class again? <laughs> writing it. Speak slower. <laughs> how many love it when he does some of that accent from the south? You've seen it on TV, and here's a real one. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's just, it's just as bad as it is on TV, isn't it? <laughs> Delightful here. We love it when you do it. Okay, come on, let's give Shane a great welcome as he comes back up again. Well, we'll get straight away into, into the teaching, because I want to honor your time and get you out um, on time tonight. We, we've got a lot to cover uh, we talked about tefillah, teshuvah, sadaka, and, and faith, and what it meant to trust. And I want to, I want to, I want to just spend the whole rest of the night talking about one area that takes a whole lot of trust to to do, and and, and it comes down to 
believing that Jesus' way is the best way for our life. Let, let me ask you a question um, tonight, and be careful how quick you answer this inside. This is for an internal question. If you could go to heaven without Jesus, is he still worth following? <clears throat> if, if, if heaven and hell wasn't the issue, is Jesus still worth following? Hmm. Now, you can't go to heaven without Jesus, but I think it's very important for us to play with that thought for a second. If heaven, if you could go to heaven without Jesus, is he still worth following? If the answer to that is yes, then I would ask us why. If the answer to that is no, I would ask you, why are you using him as a fire escape only? And that would also tell me why our lives are not victorious. And it's because we're, we've become a group of people who are all about getting to go to heaven one day, and we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is actually worth following even if there was no such thing as heaven because his way is the best way for our life. If, if when we just died, if we just died, Jesus is still the best way. He's still the best. And, and that comes down to faith. It comes down to trust. Do we really trust that his way is the best way for our life? Do we really believe that mercy is better than justice? Really? Like, do we really believe that? It's easy to believe that with other people, but do we really believe that for ourselves? Do we really believe that mercy triumphs over justice? Do, do, do we really believe this? And I want to spend the rest of the night talking about one area that takes a lot of faith for us to live, but as leaders in God's biggest idea, we should be living it. And that is this, Jesus said it this way, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are people who bring peace to situations instead of retaliation. We're all about retaliation, aren't we? And we, we, we are all about, because it's the way of the world. It's been that way since Adam and Eve. Adam, Adam names his wife Eve. God never named Eve Eve. Adam named Eve Eve. The problem with that was it was Adam's job to name the animals. So when Adam names Eve Eve, essentially he's calling her an animal. He's saying, you animal, look what you've done to us. It's retaliation. It's escalation. How many of you have lived long enough to know that retaliation and escalation is the way of life? It just does. If any of you married folks, have you ever got into an argument with your spouse about how to cut a tomato? <laughs> And it escalates into insults about the other person's mother. <laughs> it's called es yeah. It's called escalation. It's just escalation. It, it es escalates. Things escalate. I mean, I'm not the only person in the room that, that um, has anybody besides me ever gotten into a conflict? And when you walk away from the conflict, that's when you think of everything you could have said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you let it go there, or do you have imaginary conversations? <laughs> we love imaginary conversations, don't we? We love them. Why do we love imaginary conversations so much? Because we never lose. <laughs> and, 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 and if you're here tonight and you're losing imaginary conversations, get your head checked. It's your imagination. You can win. <laughs> We love imaginary conversations. There, there's so many, there's so much teaching I could do around imaginations, but I don't want to go there tonight. I want to talk about being peacemakers. We, we rationalize escalation. We rationalize things that the Bible clearly says not to do. 
And, and, and it could be, yeah, but I had a bad day. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I was stressed. Yeah, yeah but I, I, I had pressure. Yeah, yeah, but, but they're weird. <laughs> they're, they're, they're weird. Which essentially all that's saying is, your way is better. Like how many of you know some weird people? We all know weird people, right? Let me let you know something. They think you're weird, okay? <laughs> weird is relative. But we're all ethnocentric. <clears throat> we're all ethnocentric. People tell me, because I'm American, people tell me, oh, you people from America, you think the whole world's like America. Well, that's kind of, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, we probably do, but uh, so do you. <laughs> you think the whole world's like South Africa. You think the whole world's like New Zealand. We're all ethnocentric. Ethnocentric is just a big word that means you think that your world is normal and that everybody else's world is weird. That, that, that your world actually creates the normal for everybody else and becomes the gauge for what normal is for everybody. It's called ethnocentricity. And, and we, we're all like that. Let, let me tell you about a guy I know named Bubba. And um, Bubba was from uh, Colquitt County, Georgia. He's a, um, he's a redneck. And, and Bubba's never been out of Colquitt County, Georgia in his whole life. And so he was with his church, and he got the opportunity to go on a mission trip with, with his church uh, to Peru. So now Bubba's never been outside. Bubba's never been on a plane. He's never been anywhere. He's just been in Colquitt County, Georgia. And so um, he went to his pastor. He said, now, what do I need to do to go on this trip? And the pastor said, okay, well, you need this much money. You need a passport. And so Bubba went to Walmart to try to get his passport. He had no idea about anything. <laughs> and they, they, sell, they sell those at Walmart. You, you, you serious? So this is what he was. So he's never been on a trip in his life. And his first trip ever was from Atlanta International Airport, which is the size of Napier, okay? Atlanta International Airport to Peru. So his first time ever on a plane's like 12 hours. His, I mean, he's never, this guy, everything was new to this guy. How to get a passport, how to get, it was unbelievable. So he gets on the plane, and he's sitting next to the pastor. And um, he leans over, he says, Pastor, um, how long is this flight? And, and the pastor says, well, I don't know, Bubba, I don't know, 12 hours or so? He says, oh my God, Pastor, I'm not going to make it. And the pastor says, well, what do you mean, Bubba? He said, well, I got real nervous, and I drank me about seven Coca-Colas. <laughs> and I'm about to go all over myself right here. And the pastor said, well, Bubba, they've got toilets on, a, on the plane. He said, toilets on the plane? How they do that? When it flushes, where's it go? Those poor people down below. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So everything was due to it. So they land in Peru, and they, end up, they, they, they land at like 8 a.m., and there's no sleeping because it makes jet lag worse. So they just go right into it, and they're, they're helping all these kids and stuff like that. So later that afternoon, they're having a downloading meeting, like a debriefing meeting, and the pastor's right. He says, oh, what did, what did God show you today? And everybody's saying roughly the same things. If you've ever been on these types of trips, the first day, everybody says the same thing. Oh, pastor, I can't believe how much we have and how little they have and how happy they are with how little they have and how... They, and so Everybody's saying this, everybody's saying this. And so the pastor finally gets to Bubba. He says, Bubba, what'd you learn today? Bubba said, well, pastor, I don't know what all these people are talking about. He said, I'm going to tell you something right now. These are the smartest kids in the world. <laughs> and, and the pastor said, well, Bubba, I, like, they seem normal kids to me. Like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? He said, normal, these are the smartest children in the whole world. And the pastor said, well, Bubba, I, honestly, I'm lost. You're going to have to fill me in. What, what they do that was so smart? He said, Pastor, open your eyes. Man, they ain't but four years old and can already speak Spanish. 
That is unbelievable. How smart you got to be to be doing stuff like that? See, Bubba thought everybody spoke English because he did. So, so we all have all of these rationalizations for what it means to, to, to uh, retaliate and escalate and make things worse. We think people are weird. We have a bad day. We have a list of probably a thousand excuses of why we step outside of Jesus' way to live. We probably did it today. We probably spouted off at somebody today. And we thought, oh, God will forgive me for that. And he understands. I had a bad day. And the truth is, is God does understand. And he will forgive you for that. But it's affecting your future and the future of the people you love. And it's affecting your faith. We start rationalizing our ways. So I want to talk about being a peacemaker. I want to do that by looking at the life of one of the heroes of the faith. I want to look at a story that isn't just a story about him. It's a story about all of us. In Judges 14, <clears throat> we'll find ourselves in this story. This guy's a hero of the faith. Somehow he made it into that list. As you read his story, you realize that he was a rebellious, spoiled brat who wanted his own way in every single way. How he made it into the heroes of the faith, I don't know. This was a man that was sleeping with prostitutes on his wedding night because he got depressed because his best man stole his wife. He made it into the heroes of the faith somehow. This man was something else. I think we'll find our story in this. It's about a guy with excessive amounts of strength, Samson. In Judges 14... We're just gonna, I'm just going to read through this story, and we're going to talk about it. Judges 14, starting in verse 1, we're just going to go. And Samson went down to Timnah, and there he saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Do you see his tone already is kind of this elevated sort of, I want what I want, and I want it right now kind of thing. And, uh, and his father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman amongst the relatives from all those other people, amongst all your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. And his parents didn't know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. It just flipped on me, sorry. For at that time they were ruling over Israel. And Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so he tore the young lion apart with his bare hands as he might have done a young goat. But he neither told his father nor his mother of this. And then he went down and talked to the woman, and he liked her. And sometimes later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands, and he ate it as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them where he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So here's a guy that really doesn't have much regard for himself. He doesn't have a regard for the law of God. Was it against the law to scoop food out of a dead thing? Absolutely. So not only does he scoop food out of a dead thing for himself, he spreads the uncleanness around by giving it to his parents and not telling them where it came from. So he, in essence, makes his, fam- his parents unclean and doesn't tell them you need to offer a sacrifice. He is playing with God. Hmm. And it says, and when he rejoins, he and they ate it. They didn't tell him where it came from. Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson had made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms to do. And when he appeared, he was given 30 companions. 
Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. And if you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. And if you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. So, so let's, let's make sure we, we know where we are in the story. He gets to where he's going, and he says, listen, um, he, he likes to, Samson just loved to be the life of the party. He said, listen, I've got a joke for you, and um, it's, a, it's a riddle. And if you could tell me the answer, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothes linen garments. These were expensive things, 30 linen garments. And if you can't tell me the answer, you have to give me 30 linen garments. So you got a 30 to 1 chance here. And they said, well, let's hear it. Let's, let's see what's going on. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, obviously, they didn't understand this riddle because he just made it up. He's made it up off the top of his head out of an experience he had that no one knew he had. For three days, they could not give the answer. Now, let's, let's stop and make, let's make a mark in ourselves as we examine this for our own life. This whole situation started out as a joke that no one understood. This is where this started. It was a relatively innocent joke. Actually, it started out as a, as a complete dismissal of God's way of life, and he scoops food out of a dead thing. He then makes a joke out of it. And he makes a joke out of an experience that only he had. He had it alone. He didn't tell anybody about it. So obviously they won't get the joke. Every, this thing starts out as a fairly benign situation, a joke no one understands. But watch how it escalates. And it escalates very quickly. It's the basic way of the world is to escalate. For three days they could not explain the answer. So on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Now this thing escalates fairly quickly. This thing starts out as a joke no one understands and within four days, you've got the threat of burning an entire family alive. Now watch what happens. Then Samson's, uh, did you invite him here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you, won't have, you haven't told me the answer. And Samson said, I haven't even explained it to my father and mother, so why would I tell you? And she cried the whole seven days of the feast. Do you see Samson's, dilemma? I mean, Samson's heart attitude? Why would I tell you? Well, I should tell you because they're going to burn you if I don't. It never even crosses his mind. You're talking about a joke that no one understands, escalates into the threat of burning. Then her husband says, why would I tell you? What reason? As if burning her isn't enough reason. He says, then Sam, um, and, and, and so you've given, um, da, 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 just lost place. I haven't even explained to my father and mother, so why should I explain it to you? And she cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to nag him. And she, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my cow, you would not have solved the riddle. So this thing starts out as a joke no one understands. It escalates into threats of burning. She finds out the answer. They tell him the answer. And now he's calling his wife a cow. This thing has escalated very, very quickly. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And he went down to Ashkelon, and he struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who explained the riddle. Why did he do that? Because that was the bet, remember? The bet was, if you tell me the riddle, I give you 30 pieces of clothes. If you tell me the riddle, then you have to give me 30 pieces of clothes. They tell him the riddle, even though they cheated. And so what he does is he goes down, he says, you know what? I owe you 30 pieces of clothes. Fair enough. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to kill 30 of your friends, strip them naked, and I'll give you their clothes. 
This thing started out as a joke no one understands, and it escalates into now 30 people have lost their lives, and it keeps going. Watch how revenge works. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was, giving to, was given to his friends who had attended him at the wedding. So his best man at the wedding, uh, the guy gave his wife, Samson's wife, to him. So, so, so this thing starts out as a joke no one understands, and now there's all of this tension. Has anyone ever had a moment like this where the, the, everything starts out light, and then somebody says something stupid in the room, and everything escalates, and you just want to go hide? That's this. It it's, it's, it's starts out as a joke no one understands, escalates into a threat of burning. They figure out the riddle. He murders 30 people, strips them of their clothes to pay the debt from the riddle. As a result of that, her father gives her to his best man instead of to him. Gee. And it just keeps going. Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let her go in. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? I don't know what Samson was looking at him like for him to say that, because that makes no sense, that, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? In other words, Samson's look on his face must have been unbelievable. Take her instead. And Samson said to them, now if you're a note taker, you want to note this, because this is the basic way of the world. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines, so I will really harm them. In other words, th- this is what the basic way of the world, this is the anti-peacemaker. Since you have acted this way, now I have a right to step outside of Jesus, to unwrap my tassels, and to deal with you harshly. Now, if you miss the tassels thing, you need to get that. But, but we do this all the time. If Jesus was, to, why, did you, why did you act that way? Don't you know the way of, 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 of Jesus? Don't you know that that's not in the way of Jesus? Yeah, but Jesus, did you know what they did? They, they acted this way. So that gave me a right to act that way. And it's an escalation pattern that, has, that goes nowhere good fast. So, and you're going to see this the rest of the story. So he went out and he caught 300 foxes. And he tied them tail to tail in pairs. And then he fashioned a torch to every pair of tails, and he lit, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. And he burned up all the shocks in the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. Now, remember now, this thing starts out as a fairly innocent joke no one understands. And it escalates into a threat of burning. They figure out the joke. He kills 30 men to pay the debt of the joke. His father-in-law gives his wife away. Then Samson says, because you've done this to me, now I'm going to really harm you. And in an agricultural community, he burns down all their grain, which meant he ruined their economy for the whole year. This thing has escalated from a joke no one understands to 30 people have died. His wife has been taken from him. The economy of an entire nation is ruined, and 300 foxes have lost their lives. (laughs) Now, you, 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 so he takes 300 foxes and he ties them. Now, you've got to give him points for creativity on this. Now, come on now. You've got to give him some points. And so so, so he, it goes because his um, wife was given to his friends. So the Philistines went up. Now, watch, watch how it escalates. Because he did that, the Philistines went up and burned her to death. So, so now, 
now they said, why did Samson burn our grain down? Oh, he burned the grain down because his father-in-law gave his, his wife to his best man. So the Philistines said, oh, they're the cause of it. So they go and they burn the father and the, and the daughter to death. This thing is escalating out of control. So they went and they burned her and her father to death. And Samson said to them, since, now watch, here it is again. Samson said to them, since you have acted this way, now I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Since you did this, now I have a right to do this. That is not leadership in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is blessed are the peacemakers. Even, listen, even if God is working. The fact that God is working in your life does not mean that the way you're acting is right. Because God was working in Samson's life, obviously. But it didn't mean that what he was doing was right. Since you have acted this way, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Now, how many that is, I don't know. A lot. Then he went down and stayed in a cave at the Rock of Etam. And the Philistines went up and he camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. And the men of Judah asked, why have you come here to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him just as he had done to us. No, to do, since he acted this way, now I'm going to act this way. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave at the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? Why have you done this to us? And this was Samson's answer. And he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Is it almost like God is in charge of a bunch of six-year-olds? <laughs> Why'd you act that way? I only, since they acted that way, now I act this way. Well, why did you do that? Oh, because he did this. Now we could do that. Oh, but why did you do that? Oh, since I merely did to them what they did to me. It's the way of the world. And they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And the ropes of his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men that day. And then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. (laughs) Wow. Wow. This thing started out as a joke no one understands. And it escalated into 30 men losing their lives, to a whole family being burned, to the entire economy of a nation being gone, to a thousand men dying, to many being slaughtered, and all the whole time, every side saying this as their defense, I'm only doing what he did. I have a right to get even. So, so if, we, if you finish the story, they, they take him, and um, they, they end up, they start sending prostitutes to him. And, and he has a particular weakness for this, so... They, they start sending prostitutes to him. And there was one prostitute named Delilah. And she got to him in, in a very personal way. And, and they get him and they, they put his eyeballs out. And, and they say to him, you thought you made donkeys out of us. We're going to make a donkey out of you. And they give him the job of a donkey winding a millstone. Hmm. 
And, and then in the middle of all that, he, no, one, no one learns anything. They keep one-upping each other until finally the Philistines are throwing a party and everybody's in the temple of Dagon. And they bring Samson out to make fun of him because enough just can't be enough. And he asks God for strength one more time and God gives it to him and he pulls down the whole temple on their head and everybody dies. This thing started out as a joke no one understood and God used the basic human condition to judge the whole Philistine nation. Now the fact that God used the basic human condition to judge it does not mean we have a right to act that way. It's an example of how not to live. That this way of living will always bring death. How many of you, how many of you, are, are, and don't answer this out loud, I'm just asking the question, how many of you are still dealing with revenge thoughts about something that happened a long time ago? How, how many of you know someone who is? How many of you know someone who actually, their lives have been wrapped up in revenge so much that they don't know where it stops and where it starts? How many of you know that there's no end to this pattern? That you'll never, ever do enough to make it all right. There's a group of people. I mean, is, is, this, is this anything new? It, it, that a group of people, two different groups of people in the Middle East arguing over land, start one-upping each other to no end? Is this really that new? It, it, it's still going on now. One group of people straps bombs to their chest and then they walk into a public place and blow themselves up. The other group of people says, since you've blown yourself up and blown us up with you, we're going to shoot missiles over the top. And, and, and I, I go with the whole missile crowd, um, but nonetheless, and, and it's smarter way to go. <laughs> like you just think one day they're going to run out of those suicide guys, you know, like eventually you just run out of guys crazy enough to do that, don't you? But, they, they, but it's just all back and forth and back and forth. And it's a basic pattern of the world that if we can really trust God, if we can really trust that Jesus's way is the best way for our life, we can get out of that and we can be leaders because the leaders are the one who are acting different. The leaders are the ones who can step up and say, no, 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 that's not the way to live. This is a better way to live. Uh, here, here's the basic pattern. Here, here's, here's what we see. This story isn't just about Samson. This is a story about me and about you and about husbands and about wives and about coworkers. This is, this is about every time in our life that our home turned into an Everybody Loves Raymond episode gone very wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This, this, is, this is a story. This is how it goes. Here's how it goes. There's a, there's a basic pattern of revenge in the basic way of the world. The first thing that happens is offense. So, so you have an offense. Somebody does something wrong. And then the second thing that happens is somebody gets vilified. So each party vilifies the other. Surely your heart was bad. Surely you meant to do that. And we judge everybody's heart, but we judge the motivation of their heart. Like, you surely couldn't have just made a mistake. Surely you meant to really harm me. So we vilify the adversary. And, and, and then, and then we, we, um, we, we make an excuse. We, we fail to accept any responsibility for ourselves. And the way we do that is we say, since they did it, now I'll do it. So we have an offense, and then we vilify the adversary, and, and then we make excuses to unwrap the tassels. We make excuses to unwrap the tassels. And, and, and our excuse is always about somebody else. It's, it's blaming. It's, since you did that, now I'll do this. And, and then you have escalation. 
So it goes from offense to vilification to excuses to escalation. And in escalation, that's where you go from a joke that no one understands to killing a thousand men in one day to eventually killing everybody. This thing escalates. And then you hold the pattern over the other person's head. It's all your fault. Since you did this, that's the reason this whole thing happened. And they go, no, no, no. Since you, you started it with this right and, and you do this whole thing, it's like God is dealing with a bunch of six-year-olds. And, and then we make the excuse of this is just how the world is. That's, that's the basic way of the world. Of course, Jesus died on the cross to make a public spectacle the best, of the basic way of the world. And, and the worst thing is, is that we don't learn anything. So we repeat the pattern. We don't learn anything. And, and this is built in to even our cartoons. Like, did Tom and Jerry make it over here? Did they, Tom and Jerry? Like, did you watch Tom and Jerry as a kid? Like, did, it, did anybody ever wonder, when will Tom ever learn not to stick his head in the hole? <laughs> He's always after Jerry so much that he loses sight that every time he sticks his head in the hole, Jerry hits it with a hammer. Or blows his head up, or whatever. It's Tom and Jerry. How about Roadrunner and Coyote? Coyote, you you, you watch Roadrunner and Coyote, and you're like, Doc, don't strap the rocket to your back. It's going to send you over the mountain. Or, or, you know, when he paints the picture, you know, he paints the picture, like he cuts the road off, and then he paints the picture, and and then Roadrunner runs right through it, and then he steps up, and and then a truck comes from the other way, and it's it's like, what are you doing? Like... Like, just, just be a peacemaker. To, to, to make peace between the two of you would be a lot less painful. Or, or, or how, about, how about Popeye? Did Popeye make it? Popeye? Popeye, what, ran for, what, 17 years? 17 years. 17 years, once a week, Popeye. And it's always the same story. It's always the same story. Popeye loves olive oil. Bluto loves olive oil. Bluto kidnaps olive oil. Popeye goes to get olive oil out of Bluto's house. Popeye goes over there. Bluto beats up Popeye. A magical can of spinach appears. Popeye eats his spinach. Popeye gets strong. Popeye beats up Bluto. Popeye gets the girl. Every week. The exact same. Exact same. Every week. Every week. Did anybody besides me ever watch Popeye and go, Popeye! Eat your spinach first. (laughs) We just don't learn anything. We just don't learn anything. There's so much about this. Well, well, Jesus, Jesus had to deal with this. And he dealt with this for me, and he dealt with this for you. Look at Matthew 26, verse 47 to 54. Matthew 26, 47 and following. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and elders to the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss, arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said, Friend, do what you've come for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, 
for all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call upon my Father and at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? A legion was a Roman platoon. He's saying, they've come with one platoon. I've got 12. If you want to go sword for sword, you want to go sword for sword, Doc, we can go right now and I will win. But that would destroy my way of life. Jesus had said all along, blessed are the peacemakers. If someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone wants you to go one mile, go two. And his disciples who'd been with him for three and a half years, they didn't get it. They come to arrest Jesus with swords and clubs and instantly they went back to the basic way of the world. You're going to kill him, we're going to kill you. And Peter misses and cuts off his ear, which was instant death penalty, by the way. And Jesus saves his life. He's like, you are coming to take my life, but I'm going to put your ear back on. That is the way of the kingdom of God. You're coming to hurt me, but I'm still going to heal you. See, the basic way of the world is, since you've come to do this to me, now live without your ear. That's the basic way of the world. But the basic way of the kingdom of God is, you've come to hurt me, but I've come to bless you. And Jesus dealt with that. He dealt with that. He was teaching a different way to live called the kingdom of God. Jesus could have went sword for sword and won, but he wanted to teach a different way. He wanted to teach a way to publicly defeat the way of the world. He wanted to teach a way of peace. It says, at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sit in the temple courts teaching. You didn't arrest me there, but this has all taken place so that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. When the pressure was on, they deserted that way of life. You guys know the rest of the passion, all the beatings, all the, all the, all the harassing, the pulling his beard out, the spitting. At every phase, he was still a peacemaker. At the end of it, everybody who did all of that to him, he still forgave them. He was still blessing people. Up to the very end of his life, he was still letting thieves into heaven. That is the way of our rabbi. That is the way. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why? Is it just to forgive you of sins? I hope not. Is it just to forgive me of sins? I hope not. You know why Jesus died on the cross? Part of the reason Jesus died on the cross was so that in 2008 in Hastings, New Zealand, we could talk about something like this, and everybody here who's been hurt and traumatized can walk out of here tonight knowing it's still possible to be a peacemaker. Jesus died on the cross so that the basic way of the world doesn't have a rule on your life anymore. So you don't have to escalate. You don't have to one-up people who hurt you. Do you know what? Jesus died on the cross so that anybody here who was violated at a young age, they can forgive, they can deal with that pain, and they can go on. Jesus died so that every woman here who was hurt by your father and you're married now, he died so that you won't make your husband pay for the sins of your father. He died for that. Jesus died on the cross So that every one of us who've had friends desert us and flee. In our moment of need, they deserted us and flee. He he, he died on the cross for all of us who've had that happen. So that we could know that it was possible to cook breakfast on the beach for the very people who've hurt us the worst. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be peacemakers and not be a slave 
to the way of the world that says, since you've treated me this way, now I get to treat you that way. He died on the cross so we could be leaders in his biggest idea. And leaders in God's biggest idea are committed to being peacemakers. The cross here was not passive. You realize being a peacemaker is not passive? It's not some kind of just passive things that just happen. Being a peacemaker is an active decision, a pursuit of a way of life called the kingdom of God. Jesus was hardly passive when they were beating him. Jesus was actively choosing, I will not call 10,000 angels to end this. He was actively choosing, I will be a peacemaker at all costs because that way is the best way for life and I will die for that way before I'll let it be sabotaged by one moment with a sword. So where are we with that? Where are we? How freeing does that make us to know that we can go home tonight and if an argument breaks out, somebody can be a peacemaker. And of course we say, which one needs to be the peacemaker? <laughs> uh, the one who's most mature. <laughs> the one who's the most mature will act first. So everybody go home and have a competition on who can be the most mature. It means that tomorrow uh, at work with, with that guy, you know that guy, that guy, the one you wish God would just go ahead and take to heaven, that guy, that guy. Yeah. It means that you can bless him if he shows up to hurt you. You know how disempowering it is? Somebody says something bad about you, you realize that all these pastors who get talked about bad, you realize how disempowering it is if those same pastors, if somebody said something bad about me, the best thing I can do is get up on that stage and bless them from the stage. Because then everybody's thinking, what's wrong with you? He's blessing you. Hmm. Jesus' way was you always gain authority through generosity. You always gain authority through being a peacemaker. But the question is this, do we have the faith to believe for that? Or do we settle for one cookie instead of three and take our own way and escalate and then all we'll get is what we can bring, which is more escalation? Jesus died so that you and I could go out of here tonight and for the rest of our lives be peacemakers. For blessed are the peacemakers. Lord, you're the best. And... Uh, we just give you our leadership, we give you our hearts, we give you our minds, and um, yeah, we, we just commit ourselves again to you and, and say openly, Jesus, your way is the best way for my life. If you're willing to just make that word of faith confession tonight, just out loud after me with some gusto, say it this way, Jesus, Jesus. your way is the best way for my life. Let me just say that again. Jesus, your way is the best way for my life. And Lord, we proclaim that, that regardless of heaven and hell, we would still follow you, even if we could go to heaven without you. For your way is the best way for my life. Maybe right now before you leave, so we got a few minutes. I just want you to do some business there with God. Maybe, I just feel inside to do this. Maybe you're here tonight with your spouse and uh, with head bowed and eyes closed. Maybe um, you've been guilty of some of this escalation. And maybe 
um, you just need to uh, reach over and take your wife or take your husband by the hand and just give it a quick squeeze and say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's kind of your way of saying it's going to be okay. We're going to stop this now. We're going to stop this now. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you have children and, and things have escalated with them and, and you just need to agree together that it's going to be okay. Maybe as, a, maybe as a community of people, maybe just individually right where you are, you need to make a conscious decision to stand against the wiles of the devil that says it's the best life to escalate. It's never the best life to escalate. It's always the best life to be a peacemaker. Maybe that's what we need to do. I bless you tonight to know that you serve Jesus and Jesus believes in you more than you believe in him. I bless you tonight to know that your leader is in God's biggest idea. He's got this huge plan for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, thanks for letting me be your guest tonight. I hope you were blessed by that. This thing's going to build all week, so you're not going to want to miss. You want to get some friends here? It's going to build all week. It's going to build up to Sunday night. Sunday night, I'm going to preach the most important message I preach in the whole world. Tomorrow night, it's going to get better and better and better, and um, I can't wait. I'm not coming tomorrow night because I have to. I'm coming tomorrow night because I have something to say that if, I, that if y'all were willing to sit here till midnight, I would just explode um, without saying it. So tomorrow night, it's going to come out, all right? So um, I'll turn the service back over now to Pastor Mike. Very good. Come on. Let's give Santa a clap. It's fantastic. Wonderful. Really appreciate your depth of teaching. Amen. Father, we just thank you for what you've done tonight. Let your word rest in our heart and let it produce great fruit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give someone a high five. Tell them to see you tomorrow night. Bring some friends.